0: Hey, I'm Jody Butts. Welcome to At Risk, brought to you by Interact. Whether it's in the school cafeteria, the House of Commons, or on social media, your reputation is out there. And they say a good reputation takes decades to build, but can be lost in minutes. So, how should we manage this most Personal of assets in the face of constant threat and distraction. To find out, I sought the advice of Canada's 18th Prime Minister, the Right Honourable Brian Mulrooney, who is neither a stranger to the slings and arrows of public life nor to the accomplishment of big important things. Mr. Mulrooney is as passionate as ever about Canada has kind words for many a fellow well-met, and be forewarned, he's willing to sell pencils on a street corner to defend his reputation. Whether you bleed blue, red, orange, or green, I guarantee you will enjoy the dulcet tones of his wise and counsel. Thank you for joining me, Prime Minister, and welcome to At Risk.
1: Happy to be with you, Joy.
0: So before we dig into things, I have to ask, how are you doing following your surgery in December?
1: Well, I came uh, surprisingly close uh, to buying the farm in December. Uh, I I seem to have recovered pretty well, uh, but there's a complication that ensues, and I may have to have another surgery in Montreal uh, momentarily to make certain that it's all um, all the areas of danger are covered off. So I expect to be in the hospital uh, for a brief period of time here in Montreal in uh, probably a couple of days.
0: Well, I'm confident you're in capable, hands, and Please accept our, our best wishes for, for a smooth procedure and a speedy
1: recovery. Thank you very much.
0: Okay. So let's talk a little bit about risk. Now, I wanted to first get your perspective. Have things gotten more personal for people in public life, in your view?
1: I think it depends on the uh, jurisdiction. Uh, I think, for example, in the United States, uh, where there is total polarization of parties and people, I think it has gotten worse down there. The same is true of the United Kingdom in recent years. It wasn't like that uh, when uh, Margaret Thatcher was there or John Major or even Tony Blair for that matter. But it's, uh, it's now a, a pretty dangerous place to operate. Canada, I would say, uh, has improved somewhat. You don't see the uh, rat pack mentality in the House of Commons anymore certainly not enough to speak of and so I would say that compared with our days in the 80s and early 90s things have improved in Canada
0: well that's great because there has to be a cost to that to that kind of political attacks
1: but yes there is it's um, we all uh, in that kind of a business, sometimes needlessly uh, are wounded reputationally and personally by some of the false and uh, bitter personal attacks that occur both in the Commons and elsewhere, principally the media.
0: Yes, you in your memoirs you talk about an experience that um, uh, Michael Wilson, Uh, endured, uh, and it was involving um, some leaks of the budget. And you, I think, quite wisely remarked that it's very difficult when you're seen on TV to be repeatedly denying guilt. Um, It's a conundrum. The more you deny it, the more guilty you look. How, How do you try and escape that, that, that horrible cycle when you find yourself in, in on the wrong end of allegations?
1: Well, you keep trying, Jody, as, as persuasively and as elegantly as you can, uh, but you uh, realize after a while it's a mugs game. Uh, you can't spend your life denying something uh, which is not true. Uh, and it just diverts you from... Um, the major issues on your agenda uh, but it's an easier story to write a, a mini scandal or an alleged major scandal uh, attracts the attention of the media, or at least it did in my time and uh, it's, it's really a waste of time to try and defend against it
0: So what do you focus on instead when, when the sort of when, when the allegations kind of keep uh, thumping your way
1: Mrs. Thatcher used to say, Ron, she called me, Ron, just keep winning elections. That'll deal with your opponents. And that's what I tried to do.
0: I wanted to ask you about um, there was a really wonderful anecdote in your memoir that you tell um, involving Elmer McKay and his advice to you when you were running in Central Nova and the days were were quite long. They started very early, uh, and they ended late in the evening. Following the traditional Nova Scotia political barbecue, and um, you were you inquired of him about uh, you know maybe maybe the the days could could start a little bit later. And do you happen to recall his advice to you about reputation and, and early days?
1: Well, well, I I think he said something to the effect that. You know, well, first of all, he disagreed with me very strongly. This is the way it's done down here, and uh, you'll fail to do it at your peril. But I, I think he also related the anecdote of the guy who gets up at 5 o'clock in the morning and goes to work on his first day, and then, and then he can sleep in for the rest of his life. <laughs> so uh, what we what I did was follow Elmer's uh, express directives and instructions, and thank God I did, because uh, it was a heavily contested by-election, unlike most, it was very heavily contested, and uh, uh, we we managed to have a comfortable win because of Elmer's good advice.
0: Absolutely, getting that reputation as as an early riser, it uh, serves you well.
1: (laughs) That's right, that's right.
0: I've heard Jerry say that to the kids numerous times. So when I was reading your memoir, I chuckled out loud. I'm like, "Oh, this is this is very good Nova Scotia lore here."
1: Yeah, it is indeed. Uh, Jerry Jerry was right.
0: Well, hopefully the kids one day follow it. We'll give them a break though, given yeah. uh, the lack of structure today in the pandemic. Yeah. Um. So. You know, you mentioned the, the House of Commons, and um, uh, how do you feel the tenor of debate? Uh, we for sure don't have the same uh, level of polarization as you mentioned, uh, as in the UK and the United States. But but do you feel that, that the quality of debates in the House of Commons is continuing to be strong?
1: No, not really. Uh, you know, we had, in the in the House in those days. You know, John Turner, who was an excellent House of Commons man, and Joe Clark, who was as well, and, uh, Don Mazenkowski, and John Crosby, and Michael Wilson. Uh, we had some big players in the House. And um, Ed Broadbent, of course, was a superb House of Commons man. Uh, I don't follow it, Jody, as closely as I once did at all, uh, but I haven't noticed. Uh, many people of their stature in the house of commons or house of commons debates uh t- today i just uh i think there's a, quite a disparity there. i may be wrong in that because i don't follow it every day but uh that would be my assessment
0: and do you figure you know tv has changed things Do you do you think it's played a role in that
1: I remember when it came in, when uh, Joe Clark was, I think, leader of the opposition in 79, I believe. And I thought immediately that this was a tremendous benefit to Canadians to be able to see their politicians at work in the House of Commons. In fact, I recommended prior to my departure that TV be put in the Senate as it is in the House of Lords in the United Kingdom. I don't think that came to pass, but no, I think that uh, television uh, lends to some weird moments, but by and large, it's been a net benefit for the House of Commons and for the Canadian people.
0: I think people have missed it, right? You know, Parliament by Zoom is. Uh, I don't think what. Well, I think people are relieved that the work of government can continue even in as serious a pandemic as we're in, but it's, it's just not the same. I don't think anyone thinks it's as good as everyone being in the same room together.
1: Well, I agree, Jody. And moreover, for example, for, for a new leader of the opposition like Aaron O'Toole, this has been the catastrophe for him because as the new leader of the opposition, you can bend, The House is not sitting, you, can't, you cannot maintain a sustained attack on the Prime Minister or the government. Uh, you can't go out and glad hand across the streets. You can't hold political rallies. Uh, and so you're confronted by the Prime Minister who stands in front of his home and doles out large amounts of money for every part of society. That's, that's that's a pretty tough uh, battle to win. So I think that in recent years, in the last year and a half or two years, it's been you know very very unsettling to, to be anything other than a government me- member because it's very very hard to score a point on the floor of the House of Commons when most of the times it's not sitting, and when it does sit, there are very few people there, and the prime minister can come and go as he pleases most of all he prefers to go so it's hard to maintain an attack against the government for whatever reason Uh, so i think that the it has not been kind to opposition leaders uh in the last year and a half
0: and politics at its best is a people business right that's right i hope an election uh you know, if and when it occurs next, um, is post the pandemic. I think, uh, I think an election without door knocking and without in-person events, uh, not only would it just feel incredibly unsatisfying, but I, I just don't think either Canadians or the people putting their name forward would be particularly well served by that.
1: Uh, well, you're right, Julian. And had this occurred uh, when I was elected in Central Nova in 1983, in September of 1983, when I w- got into the House of Commons, uh, I don't think that um, I would have uh, fared very well because, you know, unless you can get out and and energize the base, and speak at large rallies, and entertain the troops. Uh, and, and have a chance to take your message across the country. This is vital in parliamentary politics, vital that the leader of the opposition can break through in some manner. I was fortunate that that they, this didn't happen when I was there, but also that we had pretty vigorous televised debates, which helped me a great deal in 1984. So it's a, I don't think this benefits anybody except the prime minister, who, does, who doesn't have to do anything except to dole out money and make the decisions behind that.
0: Although, you know, Doe personally, you know, he loves events and he loves being among Canadians. I, I, I have to believe there's, there's. I, I agree with you, sort of, around that the systemic. Um, uh in uh i guess imbalance in favor uh for the government but uh but i have to believe the prime minister really misses uh getting out and being uh directly among canadians
1: oh i'm sure he does he's a great retail politician and he can put on a hell of a show when he's out there and that too is a vital part of of politics you know if you're just out there uh, in an unsmiling way and uh, delivering a, a message that is as dull as dishwater. That's one thing. But when you get the humor bouncing off the walls and the crowds with you and the, and the cheering, this, this affects the way you perform, but it also influences the country who's watching this. And uh, as I say, uh, I remember way back when predicting, and uh, Jerry would probably remember this, that Mr. Trudeau was going to take or he could take the Liberal Party from a poor third position in the House of Commons to a majority government and a lot of people thought I was crazy. Uh, But I I, I wasn't crazy, I could see in him uh, some of the qualities uh, that would allow him to sell his program uh, in a a way that uh, substantially differed from his predecessor. And people are always looking for a difference, a pleasant difference, from one's predecessor.
0: So, obviously, your daughter has joined political life and she's serving uh, the province of Ontario. What advice did you give her about public life?
1: If you want to do it, dear, be yourself. Be yourself, just Never compromise your principles or your values. Look after your constituency, first and foremost, uh, about an hour north of Toronto, it's, it's Simcoe. Look after your constituents. Make certain that you're one of the survivors in the next election, whatever that is. And while, if you're called upon to serve as a minister, um, do, do the legwork do the tough things to make certain that you you have a commanding knowledge of your departments she has two the department of transportation and the ministre des affaires francophones so she has two widely divergent uh, portfolios and and she work, works very very hard at them and tries to move the collective agenda forward but my very Very proud of her, what she does.
0: In preparing for this interview, um, your writings reminded me of Dalton Camp. And Dalton Camp, for those listeners who who don't recall, he championed uh, party leadership reviews. Those were not a thing prior to Dalton Camp suggesting that one happened uh, in the context of when uh, Diefenbaker was leading. Uh, the party. And while I mean, as party leadership reviews are still a part of party politics, um, but following that, he was made a pariah within his own party. And when at least for a brief, for a period of time, and when I was reflecting on that, it, it made me want to ask you, what is the relationship between the issues you champion, and your reputation. How do you how do you navigate um, uh, championing the right things, but knowing that there might be a personal cost to it?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, Dalton brought in, and campaigned on the leadership renewal votes in 1965, and uh, irritated. Uh, Diefenbaker no end and Diefenbaker did set out to make him a pariah and he succeeded in that Uh, Mr. Mr. Diefenbaker uh, through the uh, Stanfield and Clark eras but when I came in I I, I brought him uh, back in out of the cold dalton was an old friend of mine a very very talented guy and uh, i brought him into the privy council as senior advisor to the prime minister now he had some difficulties because he did not know at the time that he should have had a heart transplant which he did uh, dr keon at the ottawa heart institute uh, just as i was leaving office and that impaired his effectiveness a great deal, as you might imagine. Yeah. But he was brought in from the cold and he performed extremely well uh, in some major files including the Atlantic Canada Opportunities Agency uh, where he was the, the brains behind that. And it's still surviving and going on well after 30 years. So, and, and that was the case of uh, Dalton uh, with regard to policies, you have to folk remember the following thing, Julie. History only has time for the big ticket items. History has no time for the trivia and the trash around question period and floating around the rumors of the House of Commons. Um, now, uh, ironically, uh, the latter are the more most difficult to deal with uh, because they make the headlines every day—an accusation of scandal or uh, what have you. That's on. The, that's an eight-column headline in any of the newspapers. But what will live on after you is if you fo- forget that and you focus on the big-ticket items that will that will be there in history. And Jeffrey Simpson used to say that one of the important things or important criteria uh, to measure the effectiveness of policy is durability. So I've left office about 30 years ago, I guess, and the the free trade agreement, the NAFTA, uh, the GST, the acid rain treaty, uh, the work for Mandela, these big items are still there, which gratifies me a great deal. And I think we did the right thing. I hope anyway. And and history has so far vindicated my government in the choices we've made and the defenses we put up. And that's what young politicians should remember. You are going to be judged on what you did while you were there. Not what you say you did. And not what you wished you had done. But what you actually did while you were there. Because you're not getting a second chance. Most people don't get a second chance, and and I'm not going to. Do. So my record is there for history to consider, and um, I hope to be satisfied with the verdict of history.
0: It's that long term view that that really is durable. There's so much daily back and forth, but you've said that you were governing for a better Canada in 10 years, not for better headlines in 10
1: days. Exactly right. And Sir John himself said, always play the the long game. Always play the long game. And that's what I tried to do. And where the difficulty comes in is when you're under constant personal attack. In many cases, I should tell you, uh, not that it does any good now, that things are completely false or never happen, but you're constantly pummeled uh, by this while you are trying to focus on the big ticket items that will help shape a better Canada. Yeah, so to keep your eye on the ball throughout uh, a lot of this malice and pernicious attacks, um, that's what you you have to do. Remember, you got to remember that you know a prime minister. Uh, is not there uh, uh, for po- you know? Look, you got to be popular to get there. But once you're there, you're not there for your popularity polls. You're there to provide leadership, and Canada needs leadership. And there, every- but Canadians are highly resistant uh, to change, and leadership requires profound change. Bringing it about, as I mean, I mean you can remember how unpopular uh, the gst was but it turns out that it was indispensable to the proper functioning of the free trade agreement there was, there was a co-mingling there which was indispensable so you put them together and you what you have uh, now and na- uh, with nafta what you have with nafta is um, uh, three countries three friendly countries of about 500 million people uh, which, with seven percent of the world's population, produces twenty-nine percent of the world's wealth. So that means millions of jobs in Canada, major investment, new investment in this country, and and social and economic advances beyond our wildest dreams when we set out to do this in 1985. So, you know, they they. Uh, That's the way it goes. I mean, in fact, our trade, just our trade between the three NAFTA countries is about one, I I don't have the exact figure now, but about $1.5 or $1.6 trillion a year. There's never been anything like this in world history. And that's NAFTA. So, you, you know, history will tell us whether it was good or bad, but I think it was pretty good.
0: And with all the polarization today, and, you know, uh, I remember, you know, uh, talking about the introduction of the 24-hour news cycle, like that was, you know, such a big, huge thing. But but now, you know, uh, with social media, you know, the, the immediate commentary on things, I think it's sometimes easy to forget how durable uh, the legacy of leadership can be. I mean, you give you know a great example uh out of many but you know nafta i mean surely it's you know undergone such a serious attack the the principles of free trade uh when uh donald trump was president yet we still enjoy the benefits of that agreement not not even someone who was as uh polarizing and as um challenging to deal with could undermine ultimately all of the groundwork that led to that agreement in the first place?
1: Well, thank God the government of the day, uh, led by Mr. Trudeau uh, and Christian Friedland and someone you know well, thank God that they handled it the way they did because uh, that thing could have gone down. And had NAFTA been defeated or sabotaged by Mr. Trump and his colleagues, had that happened, Canada would have lost a major part of the backbone of its its economy. And so, uh, you know, I I, I talked about big ticket items. Uh, The biggest ticket item that happened, in my judgment, that happened and the Trudeau government was the skilled and effective manner in which they saved NAFTA. Had NAFTA been lost, uh, you can be certain that that would be the issue in the next election campaign. It wouldn't be COVID-19. It would be the loss of NAFTA.
0: Yes, absolutely. As someone who grew up in a border community in Windsor, Ontario, uh, it's you know uh, the relationship between the two countries uh, preoccupies my mind constantly, and and I yeah. I am grateful that uh, you know we were able to as a country you know and I really do mean that as a country you know thank you for for mentioning you know Jerry's role and obviously the Prime Minister and Minister Freeland's very you know critical roles yeah um but you know I felt like as a nation we also you know, did come together? Like, there was still good debate, but that, you know, there was a whole of Canada approach behind
1: it. Well, I was invited, as as you know, by the prime minister to come to cabinet. First time in Canadian history that a former conservative prime minister, progressive conservative prime minister, met with a liberal cabinet to deal with a matter of huge substance. And that was the renewal of NAFTA. And when it was over, I was asked by the media, well, you know, Prime Minister, what are you doing In with a bunch of liberals there in the Cabinet Chamber uh, on this um, rene- renegotiation? And my response was, there is no conservative or liberal way to renegotiate NAFTA. There's only a Canadian way. And I'm there because I'm a Canadian. And so... our our members of the government. We're all in this together. This is one of those rare occasions in life where partisanship uh, yields only hardship. But cooperation can mean victory, and victory applies to all Canadians, liberals, NDP, conservative, whatever.
0: I agree wholeheartedly. Now, you mentioned in an earlier reply that experience of being personally attacked and and I just wanted to um, get your your views and your commentary on what is the experience of being attacked like what does it do to your your family do do you truly figure out who your friends are
1: oh very quickly <laughs> very very quickly uh, but uh, what with uh, this you may be referring to Airbus, uh, which was of course a hoax from the beginning. And uh, I was cleared of in courts in Quebec, I was uh, no accusation of wrongdoing ever uh, ever held. And so I had to fight it. But as I said to Milo one day, if I have to sell pencils, on the corner of Peel in St. Catherine in Montreal, I'm going to do it because I know that every single one of these accusations is completely false. But I also knew that one of the great unsung heroes of our civilization and our citizenship are the courts. Canada has a system of the uh, magistrature which is unparalleled in terms of its competence, And its uh, fairness. And I knew that it would take me time to get before a Canadian court. And when I got before the courts, these false accusations against me would melt like a snowbank in May. And that's exactly what they did. And I got an apology from the government. I got an apology from the RCMP. I didn't want any money as a settlement because it came from the Canadian taxpayers but they did have to pay my legal fees and associated fees in the millions of dollars because they were 100% wrong. And, uh, but it was a hell of a fight, and it was a bruising battle, and it was saddening for my... I was looking after my late my mother at the time, who was very elderly. She couldn't understand what, the, what was going on. And uh, my kids uh, bore a a heavy burden of this. uh, But Mila and I fought it on, and we came out ahead of the game.
0: You mentioned Mila. And one of the things that I find um, so challenging in today's environment is the way spouses uh, are treated. You know, uh, just recently, you know, Sophie Gregoire Trudeau, uh, you know, offered... um, to help with uh, with staffers by leading a yoga class, um, she's an expert in it, um, and she was just trying to be helpful during a time when she knew people are are tired and and stress, uh, a very difficult period um, to be working uh, in government, um, and she you know the some of the press just really kind of you know pilloried her um and you know essentially made fun of of her offer and and I know Mila too you know went through all kinds of scrutiny uh and and attacks how do we do better for for spouses i i just feel like um of course marriage is a partnership but at the same time only one person in that partnership is the prime minister and and the personal attacks just seem particularly um, off color and 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 not good for our public discourse.
1: Well, I've known Sophie for a long time, and uh, she was a perfect young lady then, and she's a perfect young lady today. I saw that nonsense. And it's the uh, it's the trivia and the trash to which I referred earlier, Jody, as was this nonsense at which I about which I spoke uh, publicly as well, nonsense affecting Jerry uh, with this so-called scandal. So in Sophie's case, all she should do is put a smile on her face, and uh, if they don't want to uh, take her. Her class, her yoga class, that's their loss. And she should just focus on her family, her friends, put a smile on her face and live her life. Because, you know, you have, as, as my kids used to tell me when I was under attack, when, I mean, I couldn't even add up for you the false statements and the, the pejorative allusions to me uh, for, for 10 years. That My kids used to say, Caroline used to say, Daddy, consider the source. Consider the source. This is not the Pope saying this about you. This is not Margaret Thatcher saying it. It's some guy down the, down the street here who, uh, who says he's an investigative journalist. I mean, nothing more hilarious than that. Uh, so well, all you can do is brush it off, keep working, and remember that the verdict of history comes from big-ticket items and not the trivia and trash that you and I are talking about around the floor of the House of Commons.
0: Before I let you go, I would be horribly remiss if I didn't ask your views uh, about Bill 96. Uh, Bill 96, of course, uh, a piece of legislation coming out of Quebec, um, and it seeks, uh, t- among other things, uh, to amend the Constitution, but not through uh, the amending formula, but you know through a different section of the Constitution that permits provinces to make changes to their own constitutions. Um, lots of divided opinion out there, uh what what's your take on on this matter
1: in constitutional matters the devil is always in the details mm. and and uh i am not ready yet to finish my analysis of this and and say what i might have to say uh, i'm not trying to avoid an answer uh, i just didn't have it in me in the last couple of weeks to to to, to pay the attention to this that it deserves but I will, and I'll have a view sometime soon. And I'll call you when I do. <laughs> well, that
0: is 100% fair. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, obviously, uh, the news of the demise of your reputation has been greatly overstated, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I really appreciate what you have to say about big-ticket items and being ambitious, and I think that's a great message uh, for Canada coming out of uh, these difficult pandemic times. Thank you so much for sharing them with me.
1: Well, thank you very much, uh, Jordi. My very best to your family and to all your listeners. Thank you very much.
0: Speedy recovery to you. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Jodi. Bye-bye now.